Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Amen. Welcome, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. If we've not met, my name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the honor of... Thanks, one friend. So good to me. Um, No, it's an honor to get to teach with you this morning and teach to you, and so uh, I'm excited for this time together. We're going to actually be in that verse that came up at the bottom of the the video there. So Matthew 11, if you brought a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get that out and turn to Matthew 11, uh, verses 28, and uh, we'll be there in just a second. I do want to encourage you that if you uh, don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it on the screen here so you can see the scripture that we're using. But uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, or maybe uh, one you have is is not very easy to read and and not real user-friendly, if you will, uh, we want to give you a free gift. It's the same Bible that I'm using here. It's the same translation, so it'll be helpful when you come on Sunday mornings. But outside these doors and Connections Corner there, we've got free Bibles that we'd love to give you as a gift. Or uh, some of you may have coworkers, friends, uh, folks like that that could use one. You've been talking to them, inviting them to church, things like that. And so if you want to take some and give them to people, we'd love for you to do that. We'd be honored. So take those, uh, if you will. But we're going to jump in, excuse me, this morning at Matthew 11, verse 28, if you want to look there with me. This is Jesus talking um, to his disciples and to us now. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's giving an invitation. It's this beautiful a gift that he wants to give to us. And some of us in this room probably can already identify when we hear words like weary, burden. Some of your uh, translations may say like heavy laden, but if it's pretty normal for you to use words like stressed, tired, busy, always in a hurry, just uh, filling that drain, come, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Verse 29, he says, take up my yoke, learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will, it's a promise, you will find rest for your souls. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? When you think about just those words, rest for your soul, that just sounds so good to me. But there's also this piece of me that's like, cool, how? You know, it's just this like, it's almost like an unattainable thing. It's this like, I believe it because Jesus said it, but it feels kind of impossible. It feels like I've, I've prayed for this, I, I want this, but I don't get it. I don't seem to, I seem to be missing it. So that may be you today. And I know it might be you, and I know it's me, because it's very normal on a Sunday morning, I'm out in the lobby with you. I get to greet you and say hi, and it's a great part of get, what I get to do, I love to do, catch up with you um, as a church family. But this is normal language that I hear and that I use, okay? See if you recognize this. You maybe see somebody that's in your small group or whatever, and you're like, hey, man, how's it going? Good, 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 and everybody's good. How's the family? How are things? Man, we're good, just busy, right? We just use that a lot, and it's real. It's not that it's not real, but it is this busy, and and we'll even, I, I said this last week. Somebody was asking me, like, how's the summer going? I was like, it's good. It's just 
you know, busy and like, you know, I kind of expected, I don't know what I expected, but it's just a different kind of busy. Those were the exact words I said, because, you know, we're, we've, we've got can't, some stuff are on an intentional break right now at our church that we're going to kick back up in September with groups and whatnot, but it's also just like, we got camps and we're, we're fixing that thing and we're doing this and we're finally getting to do this thing and get ready for September. And it's just a different kind of busy. So I'm using the same language of you. And what I found is I started doing research for this and just looking at what Jesus says and really what all of scripture says about rest or maybe the word Sabbath and the idea of Sabbath and a weekly Sabbath was it is normal in our culture for busy and hurry to be said. That's not a surprise to you. But I did not know that in medical circles and counseling circles and therapy circles, there's actually a phrase that's been coined called hurry sickness or busy sickness. I introduced this book to you a couple weeks ago if you were here um, plug in right now media, which is a gift that we give everybody here just as part of your daily Bible reading and prayer. And so I've been going through this book as part of this research along with some other things. And there's a great video that goes along with this teaching. It's the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And in this book, he talks about the, chi- uh, not chiropractor, cardiologist, uh, could be a chiropractor, um, Mayor Friedman that actually coined the phrase hurry or busy sickness. Um, He described it as this, well, actually Friedman rose to fame for theorizing that type A people are, uh, tend to be chronically angry and in a hurry, and they're more more prone to heart attacks. Um, But in this phrase, some definitions that have come up over the years for hurry sickness are these. You can look at them on the screen here. It's a pattern, uh, behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing or anxiousness. You feel me? Um, a continuous struggle to accomplish or achieve more and more things and participate in more and more events, but in less and less time. Three, hear this. Hurry is a form of violence for your soul. That's pretty shocking to me and hit me pretty square in the mouth when I see Jesus in Matthew 11 talk about, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. But we live in a culture and I operate in a day where I'm actually... My normality is violence on my soul. I don't know if you can relate. Maybe this will help too. He goes in on this book and gives 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. So I'm going to rattle off these 10 symptoms. You just do a little quiz for yourself. You don't have to like raise your hand or identify too much, but just chalk up how many of these 10 are you and I'll do the same. Ready? Here we go. Hurry sickness. These are the symptoms. One, irritability. You tend to get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt my feelings or a grumpy email to set me off. None of my staff get to say anything right now, okay? Um, Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't seem to relax. You give Sabbath, this weekly rest that the Bible teaches us about, a try, and let's be honest, you hate it. You do this daily Bible reading and prayer, and you try to do that quiet time with the Lord thing, and it's boring. You go to bed early, but toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV, but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, get into a little spat on social media about who we're canceling next. Your mind and body are just hyped up. Workaholism, number four, nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't seem to stop. Your drugs of choice, maybe mine, our accomplishment and accumulation. You might even use words like, if I just had more time in my week or in my day. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel other people's pains, much less your own. Empathy is a rare, hard feeling for you. 
Number six, out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity, purpose, calling as a son or daughter of God. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not necessarily the most important. You're busier than ever before, but you still feel like you just don't have enough time for what matters most. Number seven, lack of care for your body. Here we go. Um, you don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night. Eight hours. Okay. Um, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food. I looked at my wife just now because uh, that sounds like a joke. Um, minimal stimulants, margin. You tend to gain weight. You get sick multiple times a year. You regularly wake up tired. You don't sleep well. Number eight, escapist behaviors. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we turn to our distraction of choice. For some of us, it might be overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. You can name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Josh Humbert talked a few weeks ago about that slippery slope of sin. There's a spiritual discipline slippage. When we get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for our soul, hear this, tend to be the first to go rather than the first thing we go to. Number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God. You feel disconnected from godly community, others, even disconnected from your own soul. On those rare times when you do actually stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean just ask God for stuff, but actually sit with God in the quiet. We're so stressed and distracted that my mind can't quite settle down long enough to even enjoy the Father's company, that's his son. I might even say things like, God never speaks to me. I, I never hear God say anything. I don't hear God. And when we're alone, we come face to face with that void that is our soul and immediately run back to that familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. So how'd you score? I wanna relieve you, this is not a place of shame or guilt, Jesus is quite clear in the Bible that there's no shame or guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you, you're not alone. Because if we're having a competition, this is not a one I really want to have. I bet I beat you. Or we tied. At best. There's something I've noticed in just my daily rhythm, my weekly rhythm, who I am, kind of how I'm wired, and just the culture that we live in that it's so easy for me to get sucked into, that this idea of rest for my soul peace that Jesus offers as an invitation feels almost impossible, but it's a promise, and he talks about it. And as I've studied this and I've looked all throughout Scripture, really from the beginning of time all the way throughout, he talks about Sabbath and rest, and it's this gift, it's this thing, and so I was like, we, I got to know what this is, and I felt very clear that I'm supposed to share it with you today. So what is rest? There's two words that are really used most frequently throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. If you're not aware of this, it's fine. Old Testament was written in Hebrew originally, New Testament written in Greek, and so I got some old school words here that I want to define for us just to help us understand the intentionality behind what God gave us as a gift and a command. They're fun words to say, so you can say them with me. The first one is Shabbat. Let's do it again. Shabbat. It's where we get pretty clearly Sabbath, right? And these two are similar, but they're not the same, and they're very intentionally used throughout Scripture. Shabbat, and the other one is nuach. One more time, nuach, the aloch in there, nuach. There you go. That's, that's Hebrew on you. So um, really, they're similar. So what Shabbat means, you can see here, is this rest. But in the idea of stop working, get the picture of clocking out from work one day a week. Whatever is normal, six days a week, normal work, normal rhythms, normal things, there's a clocking out, and I'm going to do a purposeful pause 
with the Lord. The second word, nuach, again, rest, but it means more of like to dwell or to settle, to rest in that way, Shabbat nuach. And what I found amazing was as you look back at the very beginning of time, God weaved this, it was woven, I don't know if weaved is a word, I just said it, but it's woven into the fabric of our DNA and in the DNA and, uh, of uh, creation, it's everywhere. Look at it in Genesis 2, you can see it. Before we get to that, you see this picture of creation. Many of us know it. It's pretty familiar for us. But you see, and I want you to get the picture as you really study it and see it. God is like breathing out. He's exhaling. He's speaking life into being. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates water and separates them. There's the sky. There's the moon, the stars. There's the land. There's creatures. There's humans. And for six days, it's this exhaling, this breathing out of creation. And on the seventh day, it says this in Genesis 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it, he rested from all the work of his creation. You get this picture of both Shabbat and Nuach as God is creating, and on the seventh on the first six days, he's breathing out, he's exhaling, he's exhaling, and then on the seventh day, it's like he inhales and intentionally takes a breath. Did God need to rest? No. He's not there like often I and maybe you are where you're just like, if I can just get to the weekend, I can breathe. We have this lie I think we've kind of built up, at least I know I have, where it's just like, if I can just get past this thing, this project at work, if I can just get past the big wedding day, if I can just get over, you know, Wednesday, get past hump day, the weekend's coming, vacation's coming, and then we all know the joke that we all need a vacation from our vacation, and it's this lie perpetually that we've bought into that it's just, if I can get past this thing, I can take a breath, but Jesus said, the only way is come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. This picture that he modeled at the very beginning of creation of working and we're supposed to work hard and we're supposed to give and serve and pour out but then that one day a week there's an intentional purposeful pause to breathe and let him fill us up one thing i found very interesting as i was studying this is that um the the teaching the spiritual practice of tithing and offering is not really that dissimilar from Sabbath. And what I mean by that is as, as you study tithes and offerings and, and the principle behind that and why we do that, I don't have time to get into it fully today, but it's this act of obedience. It's not this check in a box like I'm supposed to tithe and give. They told me to. Malachi says, you know, like I got to do this thing. No, it's this obedience to the Lord that we're saying at the root of all of this, whether we're talking tithe, offering, or Sabbath, it's I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my two biggest commodities, time and money culturally, most of our two biggest commodities. See, tithing and offering is this act of obedience that like doesn't make sense on paper. It's I'm going to give you the first 10% of my money before anything else. And I trust you, Jesus, that what you say is true. And you even say to test me in this, that I can live better on 90% blessed. Hear this. I can live better on 90% blessed than 100% unblessed by you. And you, if you're new to it, you're like, no, I can do math and 100% is better than 90 but there's this beautiful, amazing, miraculous thing that the Lord does that if we'll trust him with our first fruits, the scripture talks about that first 10%, you can live better on 90% blessed 
than 100% unblessed. The same teaching is true throughout all of Scripture about Sabbath and your time. If you will trust him with six days blessed because you use that one day of rest with him, you can trust him to give you more in that time than seven days unblessed. And it's true. It's a miraculous, beautiful thing. Again, on paper, it's like, now if I had 24 more hours, pretty sure I could do some more stuff. But it's not true. We all have this capacity in science and medicine. They're all seeing it. Counselors talk about it all the time. You have a capacity. So just giving you more time doesn't necessarily make it all work. And we know that true. We don't need anybody expert to tell us that. We live it every day, don't we? There's just not enough time. We just don't have enough. What if we come to the one that is life giver and he will give us rest? I want to give you a warning. We're going to get into the how. Like, we know what Sabbath is. It sounds good, Ben. I love it. How do I do it? We're going to get into that, but I want to give you a warning real quick. Because like all spiritual disciplines and practices, and we've seen it throughout all of the Bible, it can so easily become this. This is the warning. It can just become religious activity. You know this. Coming to church can just be like, I went to church. I did it. But you don't necessarily experience God. We're very intentional about what we do with your kids and what we do in here so that we can have an environment in a time where we can, we can worship Jesus together, we can sing praise to him, we can give a biblical teaching and give you opportunities for community and group, all these different places to serve, but it takes us individually connecting with the Almighty. And he's there, he's saying, I'm here, come. And what can happen with this Sabbath idea is it can just become another religious activity that we just check a box, like I'm trying to do this Sabbath thing every week, I did it, but you're still feeling that burden that weariness. So it's easy for any spiritual activity to just become that rather than spiritual practices that lead you to the presence of Jesus. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want to teach our boys with my wife. That's what I want for us. So how do we do it? Jesus tells us this in Matthew 11. Look at it again. Verse 29. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. If you want to find rest for your souls, Take up my yoke, learn from me. So this might be something familiar that you've heard in church or church circles before, but let's talk about it a little bit. What does it mean to take up your yoke? This would be a pretty normal teaching and thing to understand that Jesus is telling his disciples, but I don't work in agriculture and farming on a day-to-day -day basis. So it took me a little learning to really get what God was saying here. There's a couple things with take up your yoke and learn from me. So let's talk about one. One is there is this yoke that if you're in farming and agriculture, you know this. My boy Rick Welch back here knows this, right? It's, it's a yoke that you yoke two animals together. There's a picture here where you can see this wooden cross piece that goes around the animal necks. And the idea is that if they work together, right, and they're in step with one another, if they're in sync with one another, they can accomplish more than they can on their own power, right? Whether they're pulling a cart or whatever the case may be. And they're actually not working as hard because there's power together. They're not working as hard as if they try to do it individually. But it takes them learning to stay in step with one another, to be in sync with one another. And so think about that analogy as if we were to yoke ourselves with Jesus and follow him and lead like him and love like him and learn like him and all these things, what our life and our day-to-day -day and our rhythms would be like. The picture you can also get is like a dance there. You, you've done this maybe as you've dated or gotten married, as my wife and I had this experience. Our first date ever was she invited me to a formal with her sorority, which was awesome. We went to San Antonio. We got all dressed up. We had a nice meal, and then there was a dance together with everybody afterwards. She's already smiling down here because she knows what happened. I stepped on her toes, guys, like 
not just a lot, but hard, you know? And I knew it in the moment, like, you're trying to dance. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's so sweet, you know? She's just like, it's cool. It's fine. It didn't hurt, you know? And then 10 years later, we're looking at pictures, and she's like, no, for real. Like, I lost a toenail by the river walk. Like, you (laughs) messed up my feet, you know? And toenail polish gone. Uh, But what happened over time? We kept dancing together. We kept learning each other. We learned how to stay more in step. And now I can say, maybe a little bit of stepping, but man, we're like half-stepping. I'm throwing in some twirls and getting some of it. I don't toss her up yet, but we do a lot of, it's gotten better and better. We've learned to be in step with one another. If you look at Galatians 5, it talks about this picture of being in step, being in sync with the Spirit. It gives you a picture of like, there's the way of the world, the kingdom of the world, the way of the flesh, And if you follow that and you're in step with the flesh, these are the outcomes that are going to happen. We know it. Our life is evidence of it. It's empty. It's void. It leads to burden, weariness. But if you stay in step with the Spirit is how that ends. There's the fruit of the Spirit that becomes evident in your life. Joy, patience, kindness, gentleness. I'm not sure I want to take a poll yet from my family or even some of my church friends here of do you see more of the fruits of the flesh or the fruits of Jesus? But my heart says I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want to sync up, be in step with Jesus, yoke myself with the Spirit of God and see that evidence in my life. I want to experience rest for my soul, and I would love nothing more than for my wife and I to give our boys that in their life. Jesus also says, take up my yoke and learn from me. See, if he was talking about a yoke to his disciples, because he was their rabbi, this was a very normal, it means teacher, and they saw him as teacher. They made a conscious choice to, when he said, come follow me, they were following their rabbi. And so when a rabbi would say, take up my yoke, learn from me, they knew what they were committing to. These are four things that they would commit to, knowing I'm going to follow this man, he's going to be my rabbi. See, they didn't have the opportunity necessarily like we have to have a word of God with you. I have multiples of these. They didn't have one that I can read and I can hear from the Spirit and learn and interpret Scripture. They didn't have that. So they had a rabbi that they would follow, and they would commit that I'm going to memorize my rabbi's words. I'm going to trust him as the source of truth. They adopted his interpretation of Scripture and would make it their own and live it out. They imitated how he did ministry, and they multiplied his teaching with disciples of their own. You and I are offered the same invitation from Jesus. The scripture talks about for us to become disciples, to follow Jesus, to give him our life, to surrender absolutely everything's on the table. Even when it doesn't make sense, like tithing and time and Sabbath and all that, I'm gonna trust you, Jesus, that your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Like Isaiah said, he invites us to go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same invitation he gave to the 12 popular dudes that we know today, you're given that same invitation. Let's go on an adventure. Come and learn from me. Take my yoke. And that's the commitment that we have to make. Now let's get real practical with it all as we start to wrap up. The the why we Sabbath, the purpose behind the Sabbath is really the same for all of us. The teaching throughout scripture of, of what Sabbath is and the purpose for it. It's really the same for all. See, if you look at the New Testament and you watch Jesus' life and ministry, you see him constantly kind of rubbing up against religious leaders of his day. And a lot of the times that, that up against them 
was because of what he was doing on the Sabbath, of ministry and work and caring for other people. And they're like, man, you can't do this on the Sabbath. See, the Jews at the time, they were so concerned about following God. And when he says, I made the Sabbath and keep it holy, they were so concerned with doing that that they actually created thousands and thousands and thousands of rules in addition to just that command so that they would do anything to not break the Sabbath. And so they got real into religious activity, not necessarily purposely, but it just became that with all these rules of you can do this, but you can't do that. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can even see it today if you go to Israel, see things like the Shabbat elevator that 24 hours a day, you don't have to push a button because that's work and it'll go up and down every floor for you to participate in. And so they were, their heart was just to honor God so much that they created these extra rules that we tend to do in church as well. And Jesus rubbed up against that with these religious leaders in his day because they're saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. What are you doing? You can't do that. And Jesus said some amazing, audacious things to them, which doesn't seem crazy to us at the time because we know him as Savior and Lord and Messiah. But at the time, you know, he says stuff like, no, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the purpose of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That was a big deal. You see it right after Matthew 11 where we're studying today. You can see this bit where Jesus does this and confronts them and talks about that. And he says this amazing thing. He says, the Sabbath doesn't serve me. I mean, I don't, sorry, I messed it up. I don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves me. So you get the picture. It's this, it's this gift that's been given to me that connects me with God. You would see Jesus go off and alone and pray and spend time with the Almighty, and he understood that the Sabbath wasn't just this list of rules that I had to do and check a box, that I go to church, I read my Bible, I do the Sabbath, I tithe, I serve, I got in a group. Those things are spiritual practices that help draw us to the Lord and help us stay connected to receive rest, to be empowered, and Jesus knew that, and so he was constantly pushing up against the religious times with that. What is Sabbath? What's the purpose? It's a gift to me. I don't serve it. I'm not just going to do a bunch of rules. And that's the invitation for us as well. But we've got to figure out in our life, in our day, in our week, what does this look like? It's a great concept. You're thinking, Ben, awesome. Again, get it. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. Jesus said it. But what does it look like? You don't know my life. You don't know what I do. So the purpose of the Sabbath is really the same for all of us. But I believe God's shown me that the how of the Sabbath can be unique to each of us. Because a lot of our weeks and times are very different. Your week looks very different than my normal week as a pastor. You might be retired. You might be an empty nester. I've got three little honyaks in the house that me and my wife are just trying to like, you know, we love it. But it's a season. Then it looks different than your season. And so what we want to do is we're going to spend some time here in a little bit and just start to ask the Lord, like, with the things I'm giving, the things I'm doing, the things I'm serving in, and just my station of life, what does Sabbath look like? It's going to probably look a little different for each of us. For many of us, Sunday probably is the best day for us. We do this purposefully, weekly, so that we can come together in the power of Jesus' name, and you can be around godly people, and we can give him worship and honor and praise, and think about the lyrics that we're singing, and your kids are taken care of back there, getting Jesus and biblical teaching, and you get that as well, and you're encouraged to serve in a different way than you give and work and serve the six other days of the week. And so Sunday makes a lot of sense maybe for all of us. If you get really angry watching the Cowboys, maybe you pick a different day, because even if you come to church and stuff, you're going to go home, and it's not going to be real Sabbath-y, okay? Um, But maybe that is joyous for you, and I think you can fit that in. I believe God is fun, 
and he loves you, and he's good, and he's good with leisure activities that we can do as a family, whether it's out in nature, watching a family movie together, having a celebratory meal, talking about what did you see God do these past six days? Again, we can get real real robotic about it has to look exactly like this for each of us, and I think we'd be in the same place as the Pharisees. Well, you're missing the point. Ben, you're missing the point. My week to week might even look a little bit different. My wife and I can develop kind of a rhythm of purposeful pause, but the how might look a little different week to week, and I create margin because sometimes emergencies do happen. Family emergencies, church emergencies, and so we, we have wiggle room for that, and we don't get so stuck in a rut, but it's going to have to be starting with trust, buying into Jesus' truth, and then going, okay, Jesus, what's this supposed to look like for our family? My wife and I still have some work to do to sit down and go like, what does this look like? How do we give our boys this and not just us, but us too? How do we bring them into the conversation about what would it look like for us to enjoy the presence of Jesus together one day a week? What could that look like practically? And there might be some hard things in the beginning because we can see that our rhythm is out of whack. Maybe instead of five sports, we're going to pick two, guys. But think about what that would teach my boys to make those choices, and they see the priority that Jesus is. We're not saying no sports. We're just saying, like, maybe we're not going to do all of them where every day, every night, there's practice. And that's just an example for our family. You're in a different situation of life, and so that's why it's important that we have to ask the Lord, and you can hear, and you will hear from Jesus and the Holy Spirit of what this is supposed to look like, and you practice. Just like I stepped on my wife's toes and had to figure that out, like, you have to practice. Mess it up. Get back up. Practice. And you'll start to find now there's a rhythm where there's life-giving rest for my soul. One of the things I found when I was researching this was, uh, again, back to Jewish tradition. They do this amazing thing still today with Orthodox Jews. And um, I don't know if I'll say it right, but the tradition is called Havdalah. It's in their weekly rhythm of practicing Sabbath. Sabbath ends with them going through Havdalah. And so what it looks like is usually they're around the table as best as I can understand. You see things like this on the table. And the patriarch of the family will usually sing in a rhythmic way scriptures and declaration about who God is and who we are in God. And there's this glass that's filled up with wine and they do some things with that. And then there's these, this candle and some senses that are like um, mint that you can pass around the table and smell because you're trying to give like something good because we're coming off of Sabbath and we don't want to really get back into the work week. And so they're trying to give some good feels there too. But one thing I found with Havdalah was this powerful thing that God used to speak to my heart and really push our family towards we're missing something and we need something here from the Lord. So as they pour the wine into the cup, part of the process is they fill it to the brim to the point of overflowing, which is why they always have a saucer under there to catch that overflow. And what I felt the Lord speaking to me personally that maybe you can relate, is part of my problem. The reason I have, frankly, all 10 symptoms of hurry sickness is because I'm constantly just praying for, I just need a drop, God. Give me, give me something out of this cup because I'm running from an empty cup. I'm trying to serve you, serve my family, serve my wife, love people, and just minister out of, if I can just get one more drop out of there. And Jesus gives us this beautiful picture that Havdalah kind of points out. You can look at it here with me in Psalm 23. I'll turn to it and read it over you. But again, the familiarity of this, don't let it get lost on you. We hear Psalm 23 a lot. Funerals, church, you see it on coffee mugs, all these things. Don't miss this. 
in the spirit of Sabbath and what you understand, Shabbat, Nuach, hear these words wash over you. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Get the picture. I have everything I need because of him. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's a place of rest. And in that place, he renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. I can trust him to be truth. And it's for his namesakes. And even when I may go through the valley of death. And it's not if. We live so much like, I hope that doesn't happen. And if and fear. Jesus was clear that in this life you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And here he says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear danger because I know this, you're with me. Your rod and your staff as my shepherd, they comfort me. And you prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies. And get the picture. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And because of this rhythm with the Lord, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, even in the days that involve the darkest valley. And hear the word again, Nuach, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for as long as I live. And this hit me right between the eyes that so much I'm just trying to pour out out of an empty cup and just hope for some drops and just man, if I can just get to this vacation, if I can just get past this thing, and it was just, it never was enough. There's never enough time. There's never the right vacation. There's never the right break. I need Jesus. I need this rhythm that he gave us from the beginning of creation that my week is off because I'm not giving him and trusting him with that time like I trust him with my money or like I trust him with my family. So what does my weekly rhythm need to look like where it can have intentional, purposeful pause because I feel like what the Lord gave me and it's for us here today is that instead of operating from an empty cup, it's that if I'll have that weekly rhythm with him, I start to figure that out, my cup doesn't even get empty. I'm operating from the overflow. That's the place that I love out of and serve out of. And he's constantly, because I have this weekly and daily rhythm with him, where he's constantly filling me up. Even when I walk through a hard time, have a difficult situation at work or home or there's somebody's passing that's tragic, and even though that, my cup's full and I operate from the overflow because I know he's with me. He comforts me. He fills me up constantly. There's this rhythm that we start to live in. And so I want to take just a few moments here, and we'll dismiss, for us to ask the Lord, what is that supposed to look like for us? So get in a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. And I just want to pray over you. God, I pray that we would not be overwhelmed with the thought of like, some of us may be doing this well, some of us, this may be not even on the radar, God. And so if that's the case, I, I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds and you, Christ Jesus, like your word talks about. So that we don't get overwhelmed with how much we got to figure out and do with you to make this a reality. I also pray, God, that you would protect us from the enemy that would love nothing more than convince us that we're too far gone, that it's too late, or it's too hard. Look at all these conversations you have to have to kind of set this up in your life to start to live this out, and you're going to screw it up, so why start? 
Would you protect our hearts and minds from hearing that noise from the enemy? And we want to hear from you, Jesus, the truth from you, Father. You gave us this as a gift. I pray that you would guard us from getting into religious activity, but to use these spiritual practices, that we would come to church on a weekly, regular basis, because we know here we're going to experience worship, we're going to experience godly community. It's not always going to be perfect. We're messy people, but it's good. And you're going to use it for our growth, God. I pray that you'd help us connect with godly community, trust you with tithes, offerings, serving, Sabbath, Father. I pray that you'd give us even just one nugget this morning of what would it look like to have purposeful pause in my week with my family? What would it look like, God, for me to set aside time to honor you and enjoy your presence? Not do a thing because I have to, but like really enjoy being with you, Father. I believe your word's true and my experience in my life is you want that. You're saying, come on. I'm right here. So would you help me surrender to that and show me what does that look like to just enjoy your presence? I'm not sure I've even done that before. What would it look like for us to celebrate as a family who you are weekly? Would you give us practical application, Father, as we experience this with you? Continue to speak to us, God, as we leave I know that you want to, so I pray more that you would help us to be receptive as we leave, to continue to hear from you, make notes, jot ideas down, share them, and just go for it. Just try. It's in your name that we trust and pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.